1: And welcome to another episode of Women and Leadership podcast brought to you by the Influence Alliance, the business building community for coaches and consultants who are looking to build a profitable and scalable business. Now, my guest today says an integrated business model rarely happens accidentally. You need to design and deliberately create a business that delivers on both social and financial returns simultaneously. And joining me on today's show is Bessie Graham from Benefit Capital. Now, Bessie works with entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs who are seeking to use business as a positive change agent. And her work allows her to design interventions, business and financial models that free them from having to choose between being trapped by grant reliance or feeling forced to fit into a profit-driven model that undermines their mission and values in the pursuit of program or organizational stability. Now, on today's show, Bessie is going to share a new sense of clarity about how to do good beyond donations or giving pro bono time, what's possible if you create a business that marries your mission and an ability to make money, as well as comfort that you are not alone. So welcome, Bessie.
0: Thank you so much. Lovely to be here with you, Anne-Marie.
1: This is such an important topic because, you know, when we have spoken to women in business, women in leadership around the globe, one of the things that comes up, time and time again, is that they're not just driven for the bottom line, but so much driven for the social good, for the impact that their business, their work, the legacy that they're leaving. And so I love that this is what your business is all about, helping businesses to be able to navigate. How do we tie the two together? Are they conflicting? All of that good stuff. But tell me, before we dive into uh, the good stuff, what inspired you to get into this area? Was it something you? Were always passionate about how did that come about for you?
0: yeah so I think as a child so right back to childhood the the ideas around social justice and wanting to make an impact in the world all the pieces you just spoke about were part of how we were brought up it was it was in my family from the beginning but the the aspect of starting to spark that idea, that making money wasn't a bad thing and that business actually had a role to play and could be part of solving social problems, for me, started to come up in high school. So there was a talk I went to where someone spoke about the idea that even if you were just on a pretty basic income over the course of your life, you are probably going to have you know, over $2 million come through your hands. And what were you going to do with that money? And as someone that grew up in a family that didn't have money, that sounded like this, oh my goodness, wow, that's a lot of money. What could you do with that? And so they spoke about what at that point was referred to as ethical investment and this idea that you could actively choose and be thoughtful and intentional about where you invested money, how you spent money, what bank you put your savings with. And so that idea... I really I found that appealing and as I then moved through through high school and and finished school I worked with the first ethical investment advisory group here in Australia called Ethinvest in Sydney and saw in those early stages that shift and change that was happening where people very much felt that no surely if you want to try to do good things in the world you couldn't possibly make money and yet ethical investment way back then decades ago was starting to show that that was not actually the case and so what that allowed as i then went on and i studied um, politics and international relations i was trying to figure out you know how do you where is the best place to have that impact should i go into politics should i go into business or is the only option to be in that not-for-profit or charitable space And for me, I didn't feel satisfied just being in one of them. It was about saying, no, there's great things in all those sectors and how do we bring the best of each of those together and start to come up with solutions that can crack these really entrenched social and environmental problems that we're Mm -hmm. facing. And so that was kind of the the desire, if you like, to find ways to have that that crossover and, and collaboration between sectors.
1: Ah, oh, fantastic. What would you say, I mean, obviously it's a number of years on since that time and you've yeah. learned and developed and hindsight is a wonderful tool, mm-hmm. a wonderful teacher. What would you say are still some of the most common barriers, if you will, to ensuring that that integration is far more seamless because ultimately, uh, mm. you know, the impact for good is so important ever so more now. And yeah. then it it's always been important, but so much mm. more now when you think of, you know, a lot of different countries, organisations around the world, if we can support them and do so in a streamlined way, everyone mm. wins. But what are some of the barriers? What, what can we do better?
0: Well, it's interesting that, again, you know, if I think about benefit capital and the business I started before that, uh, the difference incubator, a lot of times people start with saying the problem is access to capital. We need more investment or we need money to come into businesses or organisations, social enterprises that are trying to solve these problems. The pushback that I have always given and continue to give is that money itself isn't the solution to all of these problems. You don't magically fix a business model or fix an impact kind of intervention if you like just by putting more money in and so the the primary thing that we see over and over again in terms of those challenges or barriers actually comes back to a mindset piece so whether it's conscious or unconscious we have absorbed this idea that you have to choose are you doing good or are you making money You know, we use legal structure and the idea of I've set up a for-profit business or I've set up a charity or a non-profit, and that automatically puts you in a camp. And those types of approaches, whether it's to starting a business or about where you choose to have a career and saying, no, I'm driven by the social impact, I'm not here to make money, or you say, well, this is a business, not a charity, I've got to make a profit here that mindset actually fundamentally stops our creativity and our innovation around trying to merge those two trying to have the integrated model that gets you the win win mm-hmm. and so that mindset is actually at the heart of where a bunch of then the barriers start to, to come and so that is where i always start with people is trying to unpack how they actually feel and where there is discomfort around bringing those things together.
1: Yeah, I love that. And, you know, when you're thinking about money, our relationship with money, everyone has a different relationship, their Mm. beliefs and so forth. So would you say that once you're able to support, say, a woman in business, Mm. um, you know, women in, in leadership, have a mindset that that allows them to see that, hang on, you can actually have both, that that's great and that you can continue to work, or they're still going to come up against barriers systemically, if you will, with the way yeah. some corporations and, and providers and so forth think. What do you see happening here?
0: Yeah. So I think there is, it does start with an individual. So if, particularly if you are the business owner or the entrepreneurial founder driving something, it's incredibly important to address your mindset. But you're right, there is always then going to be external factors. And those same types of ways of thinking or operating will be at play. So, often we will find that a board will be, will will continue to push back on someone and, and they may verbally seem to agree and be saying, yeah, this is great. We need to have a sustainable model. We need to try to figure out how to not just be grant reliant. But then when the rubber hits the road and there's important decisions to be made and there's actually an opportunity for either the organisation to make some money or for individuals within the organisation to start to get paid properly when for decades they may have been paying themselves way below what they were worth. Then you can have these power dynamics and very awkward conversations that a woman, if it's a woman, will have. Or you know, it doesn't actually matter at that point whether you're a male or a female coming up against these challenges. That there is great discomfort whether it's from philanthropic funders, government funders, your board, or others who have an expectation of, "Well, hang on a minute. If you're saying you're trying to do good in the world, why is it that you think you should be paid a commercial salary, or why is it?" that you are going to charge us a commercial rate for delivering a service. So those pieces, we tend to have double standards that are often not thought about or reflected on, but they are pieces that you will come up against. And there is a common theme I find in the work that I do, which ends up being trying to help people learn to read the power dynamics in a room or a relationship and start to shift those. Because if you can't start to change that dynamic, you will constantly have those pieces just blocking and stopping your progress.
1: Yeah. I would imagine too that, you know, as a CEO or a founder who really is at the helm driving this organisation, this, this business forward, you need to be so adept, if that's the right word, in storytelling in such a way that you capture everybody around the table that taps into their unique reason why they're there And through that storytelling, bring everybody on board. Is that one way that you're encouraging these people as they move forward?
0: yeah and that piece of understanding your audience and learning to tell the story, and it's not about being dishonest or leaving things out to trick someone, it's about training yourself to tune into what what is it that's driving them or that will help them make a decision, and it's those parts of the story that I need to tell to this person. Yes. Yeah. that's the critical kind of piece. So it is still about integrity and honesty and having you know that authenticity in how you tell the story, but you do need to absolutely get better at being able to shape that and come at it in a different way for a different audience group. Mm. So there's, you know, in the the work we do around say impact management and measurement, that same piece plays out where you you have to look at and say, okay, I might be really driven by removing plastics from the ocean, but I might have a funder or an investor who isn't, that's not their main driver. And if I spend three quarters of my pitch trying to tell them why this is the most pressing issue in the world, I will lose them. So I need to tell that story differently. And, and so that distinction, if you like, and the way we would coach someone through that is to say, you before you jump into a business model or trying to design that integration, it does start with what is at the heart of the mission or purpose or intent of the organisation, what you're trying to do in the world, you must be clear on that. And when you're having that conversation, that is about you. That is personal um, and that story can be deeply and, you know, the whole piece can be around the motivating factors of what drives your decisions. But when we then get into a, a pitch or a story or bringing someone else on board or designing a business model, a value proposition is not about you. It's about the customer or the person engaging with you, the funder, the investor. And that has to shift out of just being you saying why you're passionate to being why is this important to them.
1: Yeah, such an important distinction and reminder. And if we have a look at, I would imagine, and, and I'll say this, the cultures around a number of organisations and even industries, they recognise and maybe saying around the boardroom, we really do need to do some more things around the social impact, the social good, but they mm-hmm. may not necessarily have the capabilities and even capabilities on the ground mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. able to do that. But if you can really create, as you would say, this, this business model, but focus mm-hmm. message and um, be able to position it in such a way, it could align beautifully with a profit you know business who's looking to support someone who's really much more focused on social good so do you see even when that happens so it's potential partnerships and collaborations can be done in that way too when they are aligned absolutely and I, again i think if you've come back to that
0: place where you are really tuned in to identifying what is the the challenge or the opportunity here for that group I want to partner with? What is it that they're dealing with? And how could my solution or intervention help solve that, that problem for them? Like, How do we create that win-win? When you partner in that way, the other thing that shifts, which for me is the exciting piece around these types of businesses or impact investment more broadly, mm-hmm. is that suddenly where once upon a time it was a not-for-profit or a social enterprise going to a corporate and saying to their CSR team, so their corporate social responsibility team, could you give us a donation because we're trying to do these nice things or could some of your staff come and volunteer with us? Instead you're saying you have in your core business a commercial challenge or a problem or opportunity that you're not able to solve, we can help you solve it in these ways. Suddenly you're coming in as equals, you're not asking them to do you a favour, You're not asking them to give you a donation and then next year they might lose interest in you. You have really been able to bring yourself into a much more equal partnership that creates that sustainability and makes you now be able to access capital funding partnerships that you could never have accessed if you stayed in that charitable-only mindset where you were asking them to help you.
1: Yeah, beautiful. And that, I mean, the the first point we mentioned you're going to speak into. I think you've you've really just captured some incredible insights here. You know, that new sense of clarity about how mm. to do good beyond donations or giving pro bono time. Mm. I mean if you position, as you say, your, your offering your, and what you can contribute, it can really be seen as a value add. And it's an ongoing relationship that together, the, you know, the combination of both parties out, the the result of that outweighs the individual contributions, if that's the right thing to say. What other thinking can we be doing, or can an organisation be doing to Mm. get out of that frame, you know, as as we look at, well, what other things do we need to be thinking about Mm -hmm. or the process to follow to get us out of that kind of do-good, donations, pro bono Mm -hmm. kind of thinking that you shared earlier?
0: So I think it's important to say, obviously, as we go into this part of the conversation, that it's not to say that donations of profit or giving of your time pro bono is a bad thing because they can be incredible resources and types of capital for you to contribute to the world. The the piece that we're trying to look for is to say the role of business or even the role of us as individuals can be so much more than just that. And that's where I want people to kind of shift their thinking. And so the reason why I encourage people to do this is that if each organization stepped back and looked at what are the decisions we are making? Where do we spend the most money in this organization? What are the points of us building this product or delivering this service? where there are the potential for positive or negative social or environmental impacts. They can be intended or unintended because sometimes there's just things that happen and you go, I would never have even thought about that. We did not want that to happen, but that's now part of our contribution. So it's about saying look at your core business, not just like, oh, we've done well this year so we'll give a, a donation. It's like, Look at the core business. Look at the decisions and the, the parts where you actually have levers you could pull. If you spend the bulk of your money on your team, so if it's the type of business where it's really just overhead is staff, then how do you think about how those staff are treated, the conditions, the pay, the environment that you're creating for them? If you're the type of business that has a supply chain where you're building or making things, are the people that are building your products actually in their conditions safe? Are you polluting the water? So think about those pieces and the touch points that are where you are having the most impact. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to be able to magically fix or be perfect at all of those things straight away, but it's being honest and reflecting on that and then choosing, okay, we now know that we need to really start using less water or polluting water less or how are we going to go about that? How are we setting targets and starting to hold ourselves accountable to those ways in which this business is having an impact in the world? Because we are all having an impact, whether that's positive or negative.
1: Yeah. And, you know, looking at the supply chain and, you know, the key stakeholders and shareholders mm. in the business externally, internally, I think mm-hmm. often we take for granted, but it all impacts, doesn't it? It, it all Absolutely. can impact. And we can make yeah. a positive impact if we start to make some changes, if those areas show, hey, we really do need to refocus on the, this area.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the same with your customers, you know, the, the the way you can impact their life by them having access to your product or service or the types of ways you can change change yes. their own existence. That's, that's all important. We need that to be positive.
1: I would imagine that's a really good place to start and should be an area that we look at because we may find that down the track we do align ourselves and partner with other people and organisations. And, you know, if they do, someone... You know, often will, they'll do a bit of an audit or whatever. Did you know that an organisation that you do business with, one of your suppliers does X, Y, and Z, that's very much going to reflect on not just your organisation, but also your partners that you collaborate with too. At Absolutely. But,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. And those types of things, again, we're seeing shifts. So I've had the benefit of sort of watching this space emerge over more than two decades now, but, but the speed at which whether an organisation itself has as a driver the social or environmental side, you're going to have less and less of a choice of whether you're going to play this game anyway because there are now regulatory components that are going to be impinging on how you do business. There's going to be compliance aspects. You know, we've seen recently Shell and legal battles over actually being able to impose on them the speed at which they change their carbon emissions. That will set precedent That at a board level, at an executive level, within the running of business, it doesn't actually matter whether you previously were driven by these things. You are going to have to start to design and operate your business differently. And the things that you were previously able to externalise and say, we're not taking that into account when we think of the costs of producing our products or services, that's not our problem. A future generation can deal with that you are not going to be able to do that in the same way. And so this thinking, whether it's your personal passion and driver from a legacy point of view or whether it's about being pragmatic, the role of business is shifting and will continue the shift and I think that's going to only increase in the, in the speed Absolutely. that that change happens.
1: And if you don't do that from a business perspective, the con- your consumers will. Because the spenders, the people now Mm. that hold the purse strings, they care about this stuff, the the younger people coming up and even the older generation too, because they're now thinking, what world are we leaving for our grandchildren, great grandchildren?
0: And staff, it's about staff retention. It's about the incredible cost to a business if you have high turnover and you're constantly trying to find new staff. People want to go to work and feel aligned and feel like they're bringing their whole whole self to work and that they can be proud of the organisation they work for. So it's Our customers, as you said, it's the consumers driving it, it's regulatory compliance pieces, it's the boards and the shareholders, but it's also about within the organisation itself and and our staff saying, I want to be proud of the organisation I work for.
1: Yeah. You know, as you're saying that too, I mean, some of the people that may be watching or listening today may be in smaller organisations and they think, well, how can we influence Mm -hmm. government? especially in some instances where government is slow and we know that innovation and government, the two words sometimes, you know, it takes a little while for them to implement things. But imagine from a business perspective, if you made all of the business decisions that were aligned with the mission and we're going to talk about how do we marry the mission and ability to make money. But imagine if, you know, together a group of of smaller businesses, if you will, were to come together and say, look, the decisions that we made for our um, supply chain and all of that. You need to align with that. So together, you know, from a purchase decision point of view, and we know how small the world is now and how connected we are, Mm. uh, you know, even uh, across borders, that can make such an impact, can't it? Because we can say we will not move forward with this business or recommend if things aren't changing. I mean, just Mm. that alone can make an impact if it seems out of our control kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important, particularly as you said, for those that are running either smaller organisations or who actually feel really passionately that part of why their intervention or their programs work is that they are grassroots and they are at a community level and that's part of the power and and beauty of why they get outcomes. The the last thing that I would ever say is that everything has to scale and everything is about being big in order to be impactful. But the, the way that you just described how there can be a collective approach is really important for people to think about at that small end because you can get the the benefits and the efficiencies and economies of scale by doing things like replicating a model instead of scaling. It doesn't have to get big, but others can learn from and tweak your version of a model in other areas or you can come together as you said and collectively make decisions or have more buying power as a as a collective all of those approaches are about working smarter at trying to figure out how can we have more influence create more impact and make a more sustainable model without having to necessarily think everything is about scale and making it big
1: yeah. And what I love about what I'm seeing too is because of the use and of the tools that we have available now, we realize, that, and I'm talking about being able to get connected with people in different countries where we may never set foot, yet the the collaborat- you know, the collaborations and yeah. partnerships, the recommendations that are being done. Uh, I mean, it's incredible, you know, a lot more people now are are kind of online. So you just don't know when you've got all of the consistent message, as you just mentioned. And if people are just watching or listening now, go back and listen right from the beginning. I mean, when you get that right, you may just be able to connect with someone on the other side of the world who is passionate about what you want. But because you spent time in really Mm -hmm. defining that mission and who you're looking for, the opportunities I think are, um, you know, are quite endless. But let's let's do talk back because I know you started the show by saying that one of the most prevalent barriers or or blockages, Mm. if you will, is around mindset and trying to see that you can actually integrate, that you can marry together the mission. And money. Let's talk about that because I think if you can't do that, then it's going to limit you, isn't it, as to what's possible?
0: Yeah. Well, it is. And it's the piece that makes it exciting and worth doing this work because what I see happen is, let's say, for example, we'll assume for this this part of the conversation that you are coming at your business or your organisation from a driver to see a particular issue solved. or So there is that, that aspect around wanting to make a positive impact in the world. If you come at that and are only sticking to saying, this is not about making money, this isn't a commercial opportunity, I'm not a business, I'm here for the beneficiary group or to serve this certain um, group of people or to solve this problem, and if you refuse to engage with the financial sustainability and what it is you have of value that someone might pay for and how you would build that out, the challenge that you will continue to have is you only can access the pools of capital that are there as donations or grants or government funding. And in that space, the thing we have to remember is there is no such thing as free money. Chasing grants is highly competitive. And people spend a lot of money and have a lot of resources doing that. And it also means that as an organisation, you're always at the mercy of that funder's interest or whether they now go, we've funded education for the last 15 years and our strategy for the next 15 years is we want to go into medical tech. And then suddenly your funder is not interested in funding your program anymore. So you hand over too much of the ability to have confidence for yourself and those you serve, the beneficiary or the social issue. You can't with any confidence plan ahead or know that I'm raising someone's expectation that I can solve their problem or that we can offer this service to them. But it's actually not up to you whether you're still going to be able to do that in three years when your funding runs out because you have no model and no ability to influence whether that happens or not. And so that's really important for us to be honest with ourselves about. It is, again, not to say that there isn't a place for philanthropy and government funding. There there absolutely is. But if you can build a model that actually gives you the confidence that we know we can run this program and it might take us the next five years to get to sustainability and we still, there will be components of our work that we are going to seek out grants or government funding to actually deepen and strengthen the work we can do, but we will not be in a position where if that funder chooses to fund something else, we have to shut our doors. And that's important.
1: It's so important and I think it's having that mindset of entrepreneurship as well, which is about looking at what opportunities. And in actual fact, I would even go so much further to say that if you are in in an organisation that is very much driven for the social good, if you don't have the mindset of we need to become more entrepreneurial, we need to come up with a, a business model that is sustainable, meaning all of the the grants and so forth, that is icing on the top, but we can still continue. And, you know, one of the things that I I would say, and this is obviously what the work that you do with them, how many organisations don't see the real value of what they can offer? I mean, Mm. just, database in itself for a profit-driven business, that database and connecting you with the big database and then that to them is priceless because if they had to take the time and energy to build that. So just that alone is a real value add where, you know, you can, yeah. So these are the things that I think you're saying is if you look yeah. at what you're doing and pinpoint all of the different areas which would be considered an asset or a real, yeah. this is a value add that this organisation could really partner with you, brings up, 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 open up a lot of opportunities, doesn't it?
0: And they're the things. So when we, part of, so our name being Benefit Capital, for us we are always trying to get organisations to realise that There are lots of types of capital it's not just about money so one of the things we do is map out what we call a a capital canvas and say what is it that you have that that you may not be necessarily leveraging or or using as well as you could because as you said that you might have massive human capital or incredible networks or the ability to pick up a phone and have someone answer that another organization would love to get access to that. You may have social capital in terms of the communities that you've worked in and the relationships and rapport and trust that's there. There's a whole different way of looking at and assessing your assets, if you like, or the capital you have at your disposal and then going, okay, what do we have of value someone would pay for How do we present that in a way that is not in any way apologetic about charging for it? Because we're adding value, whether that's to government or to a funder or to a corporate. It's adding value. We're going to charge it in a way that drives revenue into our business. And you can, when you're then delivering services that are making the world a better place or helping people solve a problem, why should you be apologetic about that? Because the fact that you can confidently now deliver that service is a wonderful thing and it goes back to that piece of what does this enable? This kind of thinking and designing your business in this way allows you to have the confidence that you're going to be able to keep having the impact in the world without fully relying on someone else's interest or funding.
1: Yeah. And you know, when you are able to generate that kind of income funding and so forth, you can then reinvest into your team. You can then, you know, when you look at the exchange, it's a value exchange, isn't it? Someone's Mm. time, you might be getting money for that. It's a value exchange. And so if you've got a little bit of that capital left over or the money that's been given, guess what? You can reinvest it in somewhere else. Or start start a
0: new program or do that. There's a whole range of things you can do. Yeah. Um, The other piece I think that's important when we think about this idea of marrying that mission and the ability to make money is that equally we can assume when someone sets up a not-for-profit or a charity um, that there are these unconscious parts of us that say, well, my intention is good and I'm seeking to help, so I must be having a positive impact. But this level of looking at your organisation and thinking about the doing good and the making money is equally important on the doing good side because our good intentions are not good enough and we do need to be able to answer questions around how would we know if we are actually creating the change in the world that we said we were trying to create. So the that side and looking at what does success look like, what are we trying to shift the dial on here and and how would we measure and track that so from an accountability point of view we can confidently say to ourselves to our funders or our investors that we are creating that change and so i think that is also not something that i ever just assume is a given that because your intentions are good oh you must be having a positive impact there are examples everywhere in things that have had billions of dollars of funding and the problems are getting worse. We're not necessarily fixing them. There's a lot of unintended consequences in there. And just putting effort or intention or money into a problem doesn't mean we can assume we are having a positive impact. And so yeah, that's into that, design...
1: People can often think that that's a given, but not necessarily because then if you are doing and, you know, putting uh, money, whatever, into Mm. that... Having an impact, you can then look at well, what needs to change? Can we do that's we need right. to do it, deliver it a different way or so forth? But that's one of the things that your partners are going to want to have as evidence, isn't it? At the end of Absolutely. the term, moving forward, hey, yep. you've had that much impact, and it's happened months before you'd said we need to give you some more money or we need to, exactly. you know, let me expand yes. the project,
0: yes. yeah. That's right. So that piece is the critical flip side of why you need to work on a business model being integrated, because what you want to create is a business where you now have the confidence that as it grows, you are having more positive impact and you are making more on the financial sustainability side. If you can get to that place where you are confident on both those things, that's the win that we want to see happen.
1: Yeah. Now I know we're just about at the end and we've gone over actually, but I've just so loved our conversation and I know this is going to make an impact for many people who are navigating through this and perhaps resonate with some of the barriers that uh, you've described today. But I know that one last piece, you know, so often as individuals, entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, we can Mm -hmm. feel that, we're going through this alone but uh, you know you wanted to share some insights so maybe as we finish up today before you share with people how they can get in contact with you what kind of insights would you like to share around you're not alone in this
0: yeah so i think the the piece for this is around starting to be quite discerning about whose voices or criticism you listen to how you seek out company and feedback there are so many people that are out there trying to build these types of organisations who are doing the same types of things as you. And one of the pieces that I have have learnt over the years is that just like not all money is created equal, not all criticism is. You know, if you go to, um, Brene Brown refers to um, Roosevelt's speech around being in the arena and that there's, you know, she talks about there's cheap seats and if someone's sitting in the cheap seat and isn't brave enough to be in here in the arena fighting the good fight, then maybe don't. Don't listen to those voices, and so I would say seek out seek out the people who are actually, you know, have the blood and sweat and tears, have the lived experience, and uh, practitioners, not just academically giving you their opinion, because there's lots of us out there who are in that practitioner category, and that kind of conversation. Is where you will feel enriched and supported and realize yeah. you're the opposite of alone. Know.
1: You know, when you surround yourself with people who are in the trenches, they may yeah. have gone through a particular challenge that you're now faced with today. So rather yeah. than having to reinvent the wheel, one yeah. piece of advice, right. fast track, you know, yeah. yeah. Save a and lot of, of heartache. Course. We can go at to people such as yourself, Bessie, and uh, benefit capital. So share a little bit more about how can people connect with you.
0: Yeah, so our website is simply benefit.capital. Mm-hmm. easy to remember. So jump on there and, and have a look and really happy to for people to reach out to me on Instagram or, or via the website um, if they've got any questions, because this is, I think, the way in which we're going to be able to have the most impact in the world is to start to design these models, tap into and access broader pools of capital to actually solve all of these challenges that the world is facing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute thrill. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day and sharing this with us. And please connect with Bessie and Benefit Capital. Thanks so much, Bessie.
0: Thanks, Anne-Marie.
1: This podcast is brought to you by TheInfluenceAlliance.com.
0: Want to influence real change with your message by becoming known as a trusted authority in your industry while building a sustainable and scalable business you love? Find out how by accessing our free podcast series at www.TheInfluenceAlliance.com slash podcast series. That's TheInfluenceAlliance.com slash podcast series.